Last summer, I was asked by a friend to preach at his church as a part of his summer series. Uh, My friend lives in Paris, Tennessee, and so as you know, that's about a two and a half hour drive away from here. Uh, There was a few factors that combined on this particular evening that created what would turn out to be a fairly memorable night, to say the least. Uh, Number one, I got a late start, and so I was rushed getting to this church just outside of Paris, Tennessee. Uh, Number two, it was an exceptionally hot July summer afternoon. And third, I had no air conditioning working in my car. And so as the drive got longer and longer and my car got hotter and hotter, being late kind of served as this oven for my emotions because the further I drove, the later I realized I was and the more worried I got that I was even going to get to the church on time. And I had prepared somewhat for these different factors that came into play. I had packed an extra shirt that I intended to change into, uh, but I did not count on how hot it was going to be, so I didn't pack any extra deodorant, which I realized I needed once I pulled into Paris, Tennessee. So I made a, a quick decision. I pulled into a Dollar General, parked my car, walked in, and realized there was a very long line, made a quick decision and decided to forego the deodorant. I rushed out of the Dollar General, rushed into my car, quickly looked at the clock on my phone, looked in the rearview mirror quickly, quickly started my car, quickly backed up, and about that time I heard crunch. And I didn't realize that there was a car that was behind me the whole time. And yet I hit it, and then I realized there was a car behind me. And thankfully, no one was hurt except my wallet and my pride. And thankfully, I got to church on time, although I would say that was one of the stinkiest sermons I've ever preached. And thankfully, and I realize this on much later reflection, That moment and that afternoon kind of served as this metaphor for my life at the time. Because I realized why I had gotten into a wreck on the drive home later that summer night. I got in a wreck because I was in a hurry and so I grew impatient and it caused me to wreck my car. And the more I've thought about it, and reflected on this event from last summer, the more I've realized that this is this metaphor for my life. Uh, And it's a metaphor for a lot of your lives as well. Because a lot of us are very much in a hurry. We're very much impatient, and for a lot of us, it is wrecking our lives. They were driven by the spirit of hurry, and it's causing this ripple effect into every aspect of our lives. Life. And I intentionally use the word spirit because it reminds us of the fact that there are these forces and factors at work in the world that shape our lives, that produce fruit in our lives. And one of the most tempting spirits in our world today is the spirit of hurry. That we now live in this world where we expect to get things done quickly and efficiently. It seems like everybody's in a hurry these days. We're in a hurry to get to church, we're in a hurry to get to school. I've even known some people, not me of course, who on vacation will even hurry through their vacation. And part of this shouldn't, should not surprise us, right? 
Because we live in this world of amazing technological advances, and we can actually get things done a lot quicker. And that's awesome, because I love Amazon Prime, and I love high-speed Internet, and I love direct flights. I love getting things done quickly and efficiently. Sometimes I love it too much. And yet, one of the things that I hear as one of your ministers on a regular basis is something along the lines of this. My plate feels so full, and my pace of life feels so fast. Has anyone ever felt like their plate is really full, and their pace of life is really fast? I know a lot of you have, because it's this concern that you've expressed to me from time to time. And the more that I've reflected on that statement, the more I've realized it to be true in my life. The more I've realized that as we progress in certain areas of our life, we regress in other areas. Specifically, as we progress in the pace of our lives, I would contend that we regress in the patience in our life. Or I would say it this way, that the spirit of hurry in our life produces the fruit of impatience. Seems like the more hurried and rushed we get, it seems like the faster we go and as our pace of life increases, something about patience withers and the fruit of impatience blooms brightly in our life. This spirit of hurry is driving a lot of our lives. And yet what it means to be Christians, what it means to be followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to be filled with the Spirit of God and produce a different kind of fruit. That part of what it means to be people who are empowered by the Spirit of God is to remember that God is a patient God. One of the most significant moments in all of salvation history happens in the book of Exodus. Uh, The book of Exodus, if you will remember, tells the story of God's deliverance of the people of God, of Israel. God hears the cry of the people. God calls Moses out as a deliverer. God shows God's power over Pharaoh, ultimately delivering the people of God by parting the waters of the Red Sea, leading them through those waters to Mount Sinai, where they're going to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And yet it's at the Mount of Sinai that the whole thing almost gets called off. Because as Moses goes up to the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to receive the stipulations and the regulations of this new covenant relationship, at the bottom of the mountain, if you will remember, the people of God, our people, grow impatient with Moses. Some translations put, he was taking too long. And so what do they do? They build a golden calf, and they basically have a marriage ceremony with the golden calf, giving that golden calf credit for delivering them from slavery and the relationship almost gets called off and yet Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and God decides to stick with it and as a part of this recommitment from God to the people the first thing God does is God reveals 
his nature to the people. And in Exodus 34, we read this definitive statement about who God is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And whether you know it or not, this one verse is going to get quoted or echoed about 23 times in the Old Testament. It becomes one of the most definitive foundational statements for the people of God throughout the Old Testament. Foundational to their belief about who God is, is that God is patient. God is slow to anger. God is steady and faithful and steadfast. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus comes along empowered by the Spirit of God that one of the fruits that we see produced in the life of Jesus is the fruit of patience. In patience, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. In patience, Jesus ministered to all kinds of people at all different stages and seasons of life. In patience, Jesus told these parables of the kingdom so often pointing to things like mustard seed and yeast, slow-moving properties. In patience, Jesus endured death, trusting God's sovereignty. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus shows us the God of the Exodus. Jesus is merciful and gracious to all the people that he interacted with. Jesus was slow to anger with his disciples and the crowds. Jesus was abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to the point of death. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we begin to read about the early church and some of those early church documents, that one of the fundamental statements, one of those foundational statements about who they believe God to be is that God is a patient God. I love the verse that we read earlier in 2 Peter 3, where we're reminded that the Lord is not slow as we understand slowness, but God is patient. God is patient, hoping that everyone will come to repentance. God is patient. God is steady. God is faithful. God is not in a hurry. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of that God, produces a different kind of fruit in our life. What it means to be the people of God, what it means to be followers of Jesus, is to allow the nature of that God and the nature of that Spirit of God to produce the fruit of patience in our life. We're, we're not called to produce the fruit of impatience, driven by the spirit of hurry. We're called to, to produce the fruit of patience, reflecting the very nature of God in our lives. That we're called to be men and women of patient ferment. Now this phrase, patient ferment, is not my own making. I'm borrowing it 
from a guy named Alan Kreider, who's an early church historian. He spent his whole life studying the early church. And he uses this phrase in a significant way. He uses it in a book that he wrote two years ago, in 2016. It was one of the most well-received Christian books of the year. And in the book, he tries to answer the question, why did the early church, in the first 300 years of its existence, why did it grow so rapidly? Because whether you know it or not, in the first 300 years of the church's existence, it went from this small, minority, sideshow religion to one of the most expansive and influential religions in the entire world, all in the matter of a few hundred years. And that's significant because it wasn't the mainstream. It wasn't what everyone was doing. It was considered a sideshow and a cult, and yet it experienced this amazing growth. And so Kreider writes a book to answer the question, why did that happen? And the title of the book gives the answer to the question. The title of the book is called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And his answer to the question boils down to these two words, patient and ferment. Regarding patience, as you see behind me, he says this, The Christians believed that God is patient and that Jesus visibly embodied patience. And they concluded that they, trusting in God, should be patient, not controlling events, not anxious or in a hurry, and never using force to achieve their ends. What's really interesting about the first 300 years of Christian history, one of the first documents that was written after the New Testament documents was a document that was written on the virtue of patience. And what the early Christians constantly said was is that patience is a uniquely Christian virtue. The earliest Christians thought that patience was one of the things that made them stand out against the culture of Rome around them. Let's just pause there a second. Can you imagine what our churches would look like today if we were passionate about being countercultural in things like patience? Patience as this uniquely Christian virtue. The other word that Kreider uses in that title is the word ferment. And ferment is used more as a metaphor to to describe that that bubbling up energy that's not ever fully in our control. Uh, As some of you know, I like to make bread. It's one of my wife's favorite hobbies of mine. I actually made some bread this week in sermon preparation, and that's my wife's favorite kind of sermon preparation. When cooking is my sermon prep, she loves those sermons. And one of the things that I've learned about making bread over the years is I've grown interested not just in the product, the final loaf of bread, but I've gotten more and more interested in the process. The process before you actually put the loaf of bread into the oven. And if you realize this or not, if you've made bread, then then you know that there's always some pretty basic key ingredients. You need some flour, you need some warm water, you need some honey, and you always need some, there you go. I knew y'all could rise to the occasion and give the right answer. 
you always need yeast. And the reason why you need yeast is because it starts the fermentation process. And if you know anything about fermentation, then you know that that basically what happens is the yeast in that moment eats the sugars in the flour. And as the yeast eats the sugar that's released in the flour when it gets wet, it begins to release gas. It begins to bubble. And because of the texture of the bread, it holds the bubbles in, and that's why it causes the loaf to rise. Fermentation is, as you know, a slow process. If you've ever made a loaf of bread before, then you know that there is some waiting and some patience involved. It doesn't happen quickly. Fermentation takes some time, takes some patience. It takes trusting forces outside of your control. And over time, this practice of baking bread has become kind of a a spiritual practice for me because every time I do it, it forces me to slow down and acquire some patience because you can't rush the process if you want good textures and flavors. Every time I I participate in that practice, I'm, I'm reminded of that posture of the early Christians. Patient ferment, patiently Waiting, patiently trusting the work of God was moving in the world. Whether they could see it immediately or not, there was this trust and there was this patience. And it's that trust and it's that patience that we're called to have today. We're called to be people of patient ferment. People who produce the fruit of patience with our lives. And I think one of the the key crucial things that that we can do as Christians today is is to cultivate some practices that help us to grow in patience. That that we need to create avenues and access points where God can do transformative work in our life and produce the fruit of patience. And, And as a way to close this morning, I want to give you three ideas that I've experimented with before that that have taught me through trial and error the ways of patience. Maybe one of these ideas will resonate with you as we try to grow and open ourselves to the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, learn the art of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that's fascinating if you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over, it's that Jesus keeps pointing us to this God who is patient. Jesus keeps pointing us to this God who is steadfast and faithful to the just and the unjust. This this God who patiently provides in the same way that he provides for the birds of the air. And what's interesting about the practices that Jesus lays out, the ways of living, don't retaliate, pray for your enemies, be generous, go the extra mile, pray and fast behind closed doors. The thing about all of those practices is once you begin to practice them, you'll begin to realize that those practices teach us to trust in a particular God, a God who is steadfast and steady. Idea number two, learn the art of slowing. Learn to slow down. And sometimes this can be challenging like getting in the longest line at the grocery store on purpose. Sorry, ClickList fans. 
Maybe it's waiting in the doctor's office without looking at any magazines.